Welcome to this week's version of Saving America. I'm Dr. David D. Shine, and uh, I have a few credentials. I'm an attorney, I'm a consultant, I'm an author. I'm known for this book, The Decline of America, 100 Years of Leadership Failures, still available on Amazon. We're also happy to provide uh, autographed copies through our office on Heights Boulevard. And uh, we've got a special show. We're going to have our usual format. We're going to talk about what's in the news. We're going to talk about rumors. And then we have a special guest for Just the Facts, Dr. Beverly Barrett, one of my colleagues at the University of St. Thomas. Uh, she teaches international economics, and I teach in management. And uh, we're both uh, very happy to be associated over there. We'll talk some more about that in our introduction of Dr. Barrett. In the meantime, let's get down to it. What's in the news this week? Well, we've got some interesting things as we enter the second week of Marxist occupation of America, or as I refer to it, Venezuela North. And uh, things have been a little bit tougher for America than I even expected. Uh, following the um, the election in November, but uh, I'm sure we're going to get through this, and hopefully we're going to be able to move forward at some point in the future. Things so far seem to be heading in backwards direction, but um, in the news, we've got a pass for Kevin Kleinsmith. Now, he's not a household name, but he is the only one to be found responsible for the bogus FISA warrant. He has admitted to signing a bogus FISA warrant, that warrant led to a series of events that supported a bogus claim that Donald Trump was elected with the help of the Russian government and other parties within Russia. This turned out to be completely false. So what happened was, is that after ridiculous amounts of attacks on President Trump, we also had the Mueller investigation, which was supposed to finally get down to it. They spent approximately $25 million to, at the Mueller investigation to simply come up with what we all knew, that it was bogus from the get-go, and nothing really seemed to come out of it. I'm not sure why other people haven't been convicted and arrested, but in any event, I guess the, uh, the classic scapegoat was Mr. Kleinsmith, to my surprise, he's been given probation for causing all of this harm in America. And I, I think that is a disgrace, and I think it is a miscarriage of justice. But anyway, that's the first item in the news for this week. Um, another one was a proposal that uh, is called HR1. In other words, the first bill proposed in the House for this session of Congress. And it is a bill that is supposed to prevent problems with elections in the future, but it's improperly titled. It is a completely bogus situation, again, where it supports uh, anonymous drop boxes, anonymous mail-in, and even prohibits the states from setting reasonable rules for elections, and most importantly, eliminates or in many ways inhibits the ability of the states 
to require accurate invest, uh, identification for people who are showing up to vote. Voting is one of the most privileged pieces of our citizenship, and I believe it is a, a, a horrible incident to not simply ask people to show us their identification. And I hear from people all the time, oh my gosh, you're being too hard. There are a lot of people out there who don't have identification. I'm sorry, that just does not hold water. And for someone who doesn't have a driver's license, every state agency will issue a identification card in lieu of that. People can bring their passport, people can bring their driver's license, people can bring other pieces of identification, a utility bill, a lease. There's lots of ways to establish who you are in America if you're a legitimate individual. And I'm not buying this nonsense that requiring, requiring identification somehow limits the access to the voting process. In any event, hopefully HR1 will go down in flames. If it doesn't in the House, hopefully it'll go down in the Senate. But uh, that's what's in the news this week. Now let's talk about the rumor. The rumor is the former governor of Virginia, who was a true lightweight and loser, actually lived in Virginia during his pathetic administration, later was rewarded for his poor performance by becoming one of the senators from Virginia. And so Tim Kaine suggests that we use the 14th Amendment to ban President Trump or former President Trump from ever holding federal office again. What is the, what is the term in the 14th Amendment? Let me read this to you. Bars people who have engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. I'm sorry, folks, that sure doesn't fit what happened uh, in, on January 6th. In fact, we've learned from a very credible source, the FBI, that the FBI Norfolk, Virginia office, speaking of Virginia, gave notice to the Capitol Police that there were threats of problems at the Capitol on January 6th. The Capitol Police did not respond to that warning from the FBI. Further, the FBI has reported in the last week that one of the things that was discovered, and it was, this has only been reported recently, was they found a pipe bomb at the Democratic headquarters in Washington and the Republican headquarters in Washington the night before January 6th. They still didn't beef up the police at the nation's capital. Clearly, when you're talking about pipe bombs at both the Democrat Republican headquarters, when there are credible reports, which we'll be introducing in future Saving Americas, that there were a lot of people involved in this who were not involved in the Trump rally, who were not supporters of President Trump, that clearly something else was going on at the U.S. Capitol. It is extraordinarily unfair to blame it on Mr. Trump. Further, the fear is that the 14th Amendment will be used to bar other people who've had the misfortune to tell the truth which is that the election in November was a flawed election. Was it significant enough? Was there enough fraud to change the outcome? None of us know because the investigation has not been completed. And I don't believe that the investigations will be completed under the current administration. 
So we cannot say that the election was false or fraudulent. We can only say there was definitely, definitely documented incidents of fraud across the country, as there are, frankly, in almost every election cycle, sadly, here in the United States. And it will stay that way until we have a better system for voting. And among the pieces are accurate identification of those who vote, tracking of ballots and things like that. So this is a, is a very important bit of red herring that are being dragged across the, the, the uh, trail. Now, where did the 14th Amendment come from? Well, it came from concerns about what had happened in Britain when Britain controlled the colonies. They had something called a Bill of Attainder. A Bill of Attainder was an action by Parliament to ban unfavored individuals from holding office, no court involved, no jury involved, no opportunity to confront your accusers. So the 14th Amendment was, was designed to actually avoid that type of conduct. And it's quite unfortunate that a United States Senator, even one as undistinguished as Tim Kaine, would suggest using it in this offensive and anti-American manner. And so let's be careful out there. Let's see if we can do a better job of running America than has happened in the last few months and frankly, in the last couple of weeks. So we don't want to end up like Iran or Venezuela. And that is the rumor for the week. And now we go into just the facts. We're going to talk a little bit about how Americans should be getting along right now. And uh, uh, Beverly, uh, Dr. Beverly Barrett wrote a great essay and uh, it, it went out on LinkedIn. It was covered by our university. And I invited uh, Beverly to come talk about that essay and, and some of the great thoughts uh, behind it. Uh, uh, Dr. Barrett has a very impressive uh, background. Uh, she's an assistant professor of international economics at the Cameron School of Business here at the University of St. Thomas uh, in Houston. And uh, she also has, a really, has done some really neat stuff before that. She was in the Office of Cabinet Affairs in the White House during the George uh, w. Bush administration and uh, uh, did some neat stuff there. And uh, her educational background is equally impressive. Started at Vanderbilt and then uh, studied at Johns Hopkins in, uh, in Italy, which I thought was a very a cool place. I love to visit Italy. And then uh, finished up at the University of Miami. And uh, we've been very blessed to have had uh, uh, Dr. Barrett uh, on our faculty over the last couple of years. And uh, we're uh, so pleased to have her here today to talk about accountability, healing, and education for our country. Dr. Barrett. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shine, and for that generous introduction. It's an honor to be here with you and Ms. Lawrence. And thank you for helping us think forward in the future about saving America. I really enjoy our work together and what we're doing at University of St. Thomas Cameron School of Business and getting students to think about an ethical dimension, the positive, um, you know, good morale they can leave in the world um, as they make their footprint going forward. And it is such an important time for our country and the world. We are coming out of this pandemic. Um, we've just had a presidential election where the most people ever have voted. And it's just a really, um, time, you know, for a new beginning, regardless of 
political background, personal background, I think it's a time for renewal. And thus I wrote the essay you mentioned on LinkedIn called A Time to Heal, Appealing to Our Better Angels. And of course the phrase better angels um, comes from the speech that Abraham Lincoln gave in 1861 in his inaugural address at the start of the Civil War, a time that the nation was very divided and thinking that um, you know, we can be reflective, we can see each other as human beings. And he says that, you know, we are friends, we must not be enemies. And so um, that's a bit of the historical context of wanting to write about those values. And then we can speak a little bit more about them and why it's really important for us to come together with different opinions to serve each other the best way possible, because we have bigger rivals in the world. This is a competitive world. We have, you know, the rise of China, we have the rise of, um, of, you know, other alliances um, with our major um, former rivals in the world, you know, Russia, we need to be coming strong against the Russia-China alliance against, we need to be, you know, force protecting ourselves, whether it's from um, traditional security concerns, technology concerns, probably our efforts need to be more on making ourselves secure at home so that we can be secure in the world. And I hope that we can kind of reorient our values to support each other. Um, and we can speak about that as educators through education, but um, whichever way you wanna go with the conversation, I'd love to speak about you know the domestic um, ways forward and maybe our position in the world, how we can be strong for that. At our well, Mm -hmm. Let's start by talking about uh, uh, you. You addressed accountability in your mm -hmm. essay. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about accountability and how that factors. Accountability. Well, I, I think that you know it means different things to different people, and it's just mm -hmm. to get us to think about that. It's not to say this is what accountability should look like, but we're in a country of laws and we have rule of law, and you know that as a lawyer and as a distinguished, you know, lawyer um, in your field and in ethics, and so just thinking that we can be thankful that we have those institutions and those laws to refer to whenever um, there's uncertainty about the way forward, whether it's electoral process, whether it's um, you know public behavior, um, but knowing that we in a democracy you know, choose these institutions, we uphold these institutions and we need to appreciate them and not take them for granted, but let them um, kind of guide our society as we think about moving forward through challenging times. Yeah. Sounds good. And then you also mentioned healing. How, how do you uh, recommend healing in the current uh, divided yes. uh, well, uh, United I, States? Yes, well, I think it has two meanings. Healing from the pandemic, which has been sad and tragic with um, hundreds of thousands of lives lost in the US and around the world. So thinking about that in the physical health sense, but then also in the sense that while we're going to have political differences and that's healthy in a democracy, thinking about what are some ways we could maybe come together from our position to make the world better that um, I think in the inaugural address, the president said, politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, right? Just being able to have discourse about this is the way I see it, this is the way you see it. Um, how can we come together? That's easier said than done, but kind of seeing each other again as friends rather than enemies and 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 trying to have maybe a peaceful approach rather 
you know, than um, than a combative approach. And I put in the essay Ecclesiastes three three, which literally says a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to reap, a time to sow. You know, to think about the contrast. And if we think about the course of history, if it's been a, a tenser period, can we move into you know a, a more gentle period of of recovery and and moving forward as we take the next steps, you know, in this new year. And we are both educators. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned as your third plank is education. Yes. So tell us a yes. little bit about that. Thank you for the chance to speak about education. Yes, we're passionate about education and whether it's formal education or, you know, informal education about civic um, norms and rules. But um, we're very thankful to have education. And I meant, you know, specifically about, you know, our electoral um, process, which is um, not easy, you know, when, when people who run for elections, there's only one winner. And so those that don't win, you know, it's sad um, for them, but I have served as a precinct chair in my um, county in Harris County. And so I had the chance to have the education of what it's like at the local level, being at the poll, being Republican and Democrat together, signing off at the end of the day, sending that on, you know, hoping that every step works. And then in the end, Republican and Democrats sign it at each county, send it to each state, the certified state. So I meant kind of understanding the checks and those processes as we get to the certification that the states make when they send that to the US Congress and the Congress has to decide to accept that or not. And also looking closer at the institution that gave the state's responsibility to determine where the electoral college votes would go um, in determining the presidency. So looking closely at the constitution and looking at the local election processes to know that process, which we're fortunate to learn in middle school, high school, grade school, political science class, et cetera, but um, perhaps maybe got lost um, in our world of you know, social media and sound bites but just kind of wanting to remind, you know, what we all go through as elections um, proceed each um, two years at the federal level, you know, and four years for presidential races. And of course, locally um, in the odd years and we're encouraging our students, you know, to get involved um, in local elections as well here in Houston and Harris County, but also have their voice heard, um, you know, at the state and national levels, so that was that on that side but education in general is a gift that we can be thankful for and hopefully you know strengthen our education systems public and private and higher education so that we do have more understanding so that we can see where people are coming from what we need to do you know next time if you know whether it's a campaign whether it's a um, you know, making processes more transparent so that there's more trust in the system because if we lose trust in the system, you know, then we've really lost um, some democracy and institutions and that can go back to the first point of accountability that we wanna believe in our institutions that they do what we intended for them to do, you know, so that we can continue to be the strongest, a strong democracy and shine that light, you know, of democracy, so. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Barrett, and uh, mm -hmm. we really appreciate your spending some time with us today and sharing your Thanks. your wonderful mm -hmm. thoughts as we mm -hmm. need to move mm -hmm. past 
um, the violence on January 6th and some of the other violence in Portland and other places to try and reach a, a, a situation where we can all sit down and talk and try and move America forward. Right, and thank you for doing that with this dialogue with Saving America and bringing in you know, perspectives from all angles and thinking about what the future is, how it's really up to us, the people, to bring those values forward and make the world a better place for all of us. So thank you for the chance to speak with you about that. And we'll continue to stay tuned and be interested in your program going forward. Thank you very much for being here today. It is an absolute pleasure to, uh, to have your inputs today. And this again is Saving America. And we thank you. This is Dr. David D. Shine. And join us again in the future.